0: This is the Preaching Podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we are going to be, um, I'm going to be bringing a sermon entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Where Do We Go From Here? And we've covered a lot of ground philosophically and theologically, um, over the past six weeks. Uh, we spoke about the first week, the gospel defined, and we talked about what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't, and what are the implications of the gospel. The next two weeks, we spoke about the traditional, the modern, and the gospel identity, more philosophical in those two weeks. Um, And then week four, we were in the old man versus the new man. And we spoke about how our old man has been crucified. He no longer exists. So we're not fighting our old nature. We're fighting the flesh. And then the last two weeks, I've already mentioned, Steve exposed some of the lies about our identity. And then last week, Jeff bringing out the truth from Colossians 2 about who we are in Christ. A lot of theological and a lot of philosophical groundwork has been laid. And I hope that you've soaked it in and I hope that you um, have attempted to comprehend some of those things that can really change your life. <clears throat> but my heart for today's message is that we would take what has been put in our heads and our hearts and see it lived out in our hands and in our feet. Let me say that again. My heart behind today's message is that we would take what has been put in our heads and our hearts and that we would see it lived out in our hands and in our feet. Because you only truly believe that which moves you to action. You only truly believe that, what, that, that which moves you to action. You remember last year, it was, it's been a full year now I believe, but last year we were in the book of Ephesians. Um, and we preached through the entire book of Ephesians. And if you remember, we said this, I lost count of how many times we talked about the fact that the first three chapters in the book of, of Ephesians was theological, and it was really laying the theological groundwork. And Sherry, you can completely cut me off in the monitors if you want. Um, but uh, we we lay the theological groundwork for the first three chapters um, of, of the book of Ephesians. And then the last three chapters... Where how does that practically live itself out in our lives? And chapters four, five, and six speak about husbands and wives, and speaks about uh, employers and employees. It speaks about how to walk worthy of this vocation that we've been called in, how to be an imitator of God. That's what we do—the practices and the way that we live. And so there is that balance always in Scripture. And the Book of Ephesians has it, and. I want to make sure that we keep that proper balance as we preach and teach through this topic. I must admit, though, that this has been a little overcomplicated by many people. And so my goal today is to simplify what it means to live with your identity wrapped in Jesus. What does that actually look like? Um, As I mentioned in our Connect group this past week, What does that look like on Thursday afternoon at 545? What does living in a gospel identity look like? What does it look like tomorrow morning when when you hit the snooze button one or two times, you know, too many, and you're rushing to work and you walk into work tomorrow right on time? What does living with Jesus as our identity, what does that actually look like? And that's what I'm hoping this morning that we will learn. And I want to warn you that much of what you hear today is not going to be new and earth-shattering. In fact, there's nothing new under the sun. And I always say if you have someone give you a brand new theological truth that you've never heard in your life, you might want to take a couple steps back and really research that. But I do want to say this. If Jesus is as wonderful and powerful as he claims to be. Certainly a follower of his, whose identity is centered on him, will have certain attributes and practices that would identify him as a follower of Jesus to a lost world. Leave that up for a second. This is the foundation of what we're gonna speak on today. If Jesus... Is this wonderful and powerful? What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name. Melody, you ready? Um, if we're going to sing that, right? Oh, yeah, hands up. Okay. If that be true, if that be true, then certainly a follower of that wonderful and powerful name will have certain attributes and practices that would identify him as a follower of Jesus to a lost world. So this morning, I want us to identify some of those attributes and some of those practices. I'm obviously not going to be able to exhaust the subject in one sermon. I'm not going to try to, by the way. Can we pray? And then we'll get right into the message. Dear Lord, we do love you today. We want more than anything this morning, God. We want to live as if you are as wonderful and powerful as you are. God, we want our unsaved friends and our family that don't have a relationship with you. We want them to see you lived in our lives. And I pray today that we would learn from your word. and God, that you would lead, guide, and instruct us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do want to make sure today that you give the entire sermon a listen before you rush to judgment over one or two points. Make sure you listen to it in its entirety um, this morning because um, the order of the points um, are, are a little unique. And so what do we need to know this morning or what do we need to practice? What are some of the attributes that we need to have as a follower of Jesus whose identity is wrapped up in Christ? Number one, we need this. We need a clear understanding of the works of the flesh and the spirit. We need a clear understanding Of the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. And would you know it? The Apostle Paul thought the same thing. And in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, he spoke on it. And he gave a very, very clear presentation of the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. The Apostle Paul says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you were led by the spirit, you were not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and just in case he didn't cover your specific sin and the like. All right. And anything like those, man, I'm, I'm done for, right? I'm done. Continuing on in verse 21, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, justification, we were saved from the penalty of sin, sanctification, we are being saved from the power of sin. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit, if you want to look at it that way, the visible, tangible evidence, that's what fruit is. The tangible evidence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Here we find some specific works that will clearly display whether or not we are living in a gospel identity. One that is crucifying the flesh and that is living and walking in the Spirit of God. And I kind of wish it was more complex and more difficult than this, but it seems like a parent of a three-year-old. This is bad, 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 and this is good, good, good. But as adults, don't we seem to complicate it? Don't we tend, if we're not careful, to complicate a simple truth? The works of the flesh display themselves in this manner, adultery and fornication. So once again, don't, is it okay if we say, if we talk a little just real this morning? I know that's one of my things I say, but if you are living in adultery and fornication this morning, then you are not living with Jesus as your identity. Can we just tell the truth this morning? And if you are living in adultery and fornication this morning, you are living according to your flesh and your sin and your fallenness this morning. And can I say if you are living in that this morning, that we are a church that wants to love you and help you and bring you to a point where you are no longer living in this sin? Uncleanness? Lewdness? Here's one. Idolatry? Oh, you know, I, I took down my actual idols that we had in the living room. That's not what I'm speaking of this morning. Anything that we place above Christ is an idol. And sure, in the Old Testament, the idols looked a certain way. But hey, in the New Testament, in the day and age that we live in, the church age, man, idols look like your kid's basketball program and baseball program and football and soccer, and idols look like that That extra time you've got to to spend at work because you've got to pay for this this house or that extra time you've got to spend here because you've got to pay for this vehicle and and idols look like I want my bank account to add a zero before the decimal. Um, I need my bank account to... All of those when they're placed above Christ become idols. We talked about some idols that maybe come into play when we spoke of modern identity, the idol of self. Or even traditional identity, the idol of like my family. Uh Uh-oh. You see, my my family could be an idol. If your family is more important than Jesus, then your family can be an idol. I certainly believe that. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. Welcome to 2020, right? You disagree with me? Hatred. Contentions. To be a contentious person, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. We're getting down here where we live now, right? Why well, ain't a murderer? Okay. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions, which means strife. It's a very similar word to contention. Heresies. Do we know our Bible and believe our Bible properly? Envy? Murder? Drunkenness? By the way, because I want to preach the truth, the Bible's very, very clear on drunkenness. The Bible's very clear on drunkenness. Now, I'll have plenty of conversations with you about leading up to that, but the Bible is super clear on drunkenness. Revelries, which is another word for debauchery, which would go along with things that often happen as a result of that drunkenness. And anything like that. And can I say this? Romans 8 verse 8 says this. So then those who are in, who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, so Joshua sounds a little legalistic. Well, just hold on. Hold on for a second. Let me, I, I said for you to let me get through the entire message and kind of take the message as a whole. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the same way, the works of the Spirit will present themselves in this manner. Love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You could almost take the fruit of the Spirit and group up some of the, the works of the flesh and, and see the counter of the works of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. So I ask you a simple question this morning, and I ask me a simple question this morning Is your life marked more by the works of the flesh or by the fruit of the Spirit? Be honest with yourself this morning. Because those who are living in the flesh and those who have allowed the flesh to rule and reign in their lives cannot please God in their flesh. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. But a follower of Jesus who is adopting a gospel identity, an identity that's centered around Christ, that follower of Jesus will be marked by the fruit of Of the Spirit. Now, does that mean that that person is perfect? Absolutely not. But they will consistently over time be crucifying the flesh and its deeds and be putting on the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that that, that person is going to grow at the same rate that you grew in your Christian life. It doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect and they're never going uh, to give in to the works of the flesh again. But it means that if you take a step back and look over a period of time in their life, you're going to see the works of the flesh being crucified, and you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit being multiplied in the life of a true follower of Jesus. It's very simple. It's very biblical. We don't like preaching it. Because we like to say Jesus came and he did everything on the cross and he did and it's once for all for you and that's true. But if it was true in your life, then here are the marks that are going to identify you as a follower of Jesus. So we need a clear understanding this morning, a clear understanding of the works of the flesh and of the spirit. But secondly, and you'll see where this is building, we need a clear understanding of the motivations of our works. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, and that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Selfish culture that we live in. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him, Christ, who died for them and rose again. There is no greater motivator than the motivator of love. There is no greater motivator than that of love. Hey, mom, dad, there's no greater motivator for your children's obedience than for that motive to be grounded in the love that they have for you as their parent. There is no greater motivator. And certainly God calls us to discipline our children, and and I believe we ought to discipline our children, but if my daughter's motivator for obeying me is fear, I am not doing my job as a father properly. If my daughter's motivator for obeying my wife and I is guilt, then we are not doing our jobs. As parents, the greatest motivator is love. Having a desire to respond out of a motivation of love. If love is the greatest motivator, then we have to understand that there are some false motivators out there, and there are some negative motivators out there. James chapter 4 and verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive. Because you ask amiss or with the wrong motive. That you may spend it on your pleasures. We're going to get to James chapter 4. Just get ready. Y'all get ready for James. I'm going to have people leave the church in James. I know it. It's all good. It's all good. Don't let the Bible hit you on the way out. Anyway, I'm just kidding. It's not us. I'm just kidding. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1, 5, and 15. Not all of them. Just, one, just these three. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 15, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Hey, by the way, if you're fasting, please don't invite me to lunch with you and then you sit there and go, I would eat, but I'm fasting. Just say no, you can't go to lunch. Uh, you know, I'm fasting, so everybody at work is going to go out to lunch, and I'm going to go with them. That way, when I'm there and they're like, hey, why didn't you order anything? I'm fasting. You know, what do you want? Like, you want to clap? You want to pat on the back? Bow? We'll do whatever. But it is clear in these three verses and the previous verse that we read in James that we can do the right thing. In Matthew chapter 6, giving, praying, and fasting. That's the right thing. But it is very clear in Scripture that we can do the right thing with the wrong motive. Fear, guilt, duty, the praise of man, obligation. And can I remind you this morning that doing the right thing with the wrong motive is operating in your flesh and not in the Spirit. Can I remind you of that? I reminded you of it three weeks ago. Steve reminded you of it two weeks ago. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and doing the right thing with the wrong motive, they work in your flesh. I can be preaching this morning, doing the right thing with the wrong motive for the praise of men. And I am working in my flesh and not in the spirit. If you've been doing good things Listen, please, Lord, listen to this. Before I say it. This, this specific statement that I'm about to make is for those of us who have come out of church situations where we have felt in a very legalistic environment where we have felt that you gotta do this, 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 do this. So let me preface this statement. But I'm, I'm get ready, because I'm about to throw a right hook. Okay? And it hit me first, so I know how it hurts. If you've been doing good things with the wrong motive, right? That's what that results in often. That legalistic environment, you got to do this and do this and do this. So you do them, but you're doing them with the wrong motive. To check a list for the praise of man, for a pat on the back, for acceptance from God, whatever it may be. The answer is not... To stop doing good things. That's not the answer. The answer is to surrender your flesh-driven motives to the Holy Spirit. And to do good things with good motives. What you were doing was not the problem. It's why you were doing it. That was the problem, well josh you got to see here i've just been i 've just been going through a tough time, and I know I should be uh, reading god 's word, but you know what I was doing it for the wrong reasons, so i 'm just going to stop what are you kidding? you know I know I used to be a part of this or I used to be involved in that, and you know what i just you know I just got caught up in the legalistic environment, and I was doing it for the wrong reasons, so I'm just going to back away from that. Folks, that ain't the answer. The answer is to check your motive. The answer is to go before God, your creator, the one in whose image you were made, the one who you were you were literally made to glorify him and to say, "God, change my heart motive." God, I've been doing this out of selfish ambition. God, I've been doing this to get a pat on the back from so-and-so. God, I've been doing this because even as an adult, my parents kind of put this pressure on me. And God, please, I've been doing it out of the wrong motive. And God, next Sunday or next Tuesday or next Thursday, I want to do this, but I want to do it out of a pure, holy motive. And that is as a child of God, because I love you so much. The answer is, It's not to stop what you're doing. It's to change why you're doing it. And that is so incredibly important. Can I say to those of you that may be recovering legalists this morning, that the answer, you are not gonna get any joy or happiness from pulling completely away and doing nothing. I promise you. That's not the answer. The answer is to ask God, to change your heart, to change your heart. Now I will say, and we've done this with people in our church because I believe it's healthy every now and then people do need a breather. I'm not going to say they don't every now and then those people that have been doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing every now and then they need to be like, Hey, listen, you need to chill for an extended period of time. Sometimes I'm not saying that we should not build those seasons of life in but I'm saying that while we're in that season of life, it ought to be, God, I want to fall further in love with you while I'm taking this breather from this service. And God as, soon as, God, as soon as you'll let me, please, out of a heart of love, let me right back in. God, let me right back in. God, I want to serve you. Listen, the answer to your legalism is not laziness. That's a, it's in here somewhere. It's in my notes. Oh, I'm not even there yet. Daggone it. But I'm going to just go ahead. The answer to your legalism is not spiritual laziness. Thirdly, this morning. So we need a clear understanding of the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. We need a clear understanding of the motivations of our works. Thirdly, we need a clear understanding of what fuels our focus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Of what fuels our focus. How can we be placed in the best spot to be focused on displaying the fruit of the Spirit with a proper heart motive. So what are some things, how can we help ourselves? That's a better way of wording. How can we help ourselves live this life, right? How can we help ourselves crucify the works of the flesh? And how can we help ourselves live in the fruit of the Spirit? What are some ways that we can maybe adjust to make it easier to do those things, because it's not easy. Tim Keller said it this way. We need to focus on our imagination. Our imagination. Things that grab your heart and fuel your creativity. Focus on the things that grab your heart and that fuel your creativity. Secondly, he said, repetition. The things that you do by habit. The things that you do again and again and again and again. What we should be doing is running to the Father. And then lastly, association. The people with whom you surround yourself. So how can we help, how can we help fuel these areas in our lives to love and serve Jesus? If the things that grab your heart and that fuel your creativity, the things that you do on a consistent basis by habit, and the people with whom you surround yourself, if they have their foundation in Christ, then you can and will find yourself with a further gospel focus and a life that is more centered on an identity in Christ. We cannot just sit idly by in our Christian lives and expect everything to supernaturally fall into place. We must fuel our lives with grace-centered, and gospel-centered thoughts and practices. I like to think of Zach, if it's okay. Zach is a very creative guy. And Zach does a lot of what we do here. Where's, where's Keith? Keith is a very creative guy. Keith actually created the sermon slide uh, graphics and things. And, and, and these two guys. It would be very easy. Both of them have their own secular jobs where they are able to fuel their creativity to do a project for the Radisson. Or you're able to fuel your creativity for that, all those X, Y, Zs and numbers and everything that you put together to somehow make something look beautiful. And you know what? It would be very easy to say, I'm going to fuel, fuel my creativity simply in the secular. But both of these guys, in fact, this morning had a conversation with Zach about some of the ideas that we have moving forward to even boost our online presence much better. Both of them like to fuel their creativity in the Spiritual. And so this morning, I ask you, do you ever spark your creativity? Do you ever let something grab your heart, your imagination, in the spiritual realm? What about the things that you do by habit? Are any of those things spiritual acts? What about your closest associations? Do they help point you to Jesus? Hey, listen, the culture's fighting against us. So what are we doing to help ourselves? Listen, culture and the devil is fighting like a roaring lion coming after you to try to push you away from living in the spirit, from living in your new identity in Christ. So why are we making it easy on them? What are some of the things we can do? Our imaginations, things that fuel our creativity, our repetitions, things we do over and over again, and our associations, who we do them with. Listen, we can help ourselves. We can help ourselves. Just common sense this morning. And then lastly, and bear with me. If I didn't know the Lord wanted me to preach this, I would not preach this. I'm just telling you. Fourthly, a clear understanding of the spiritual disciplines. A clear understanding of the spiritual disciplines. And I must warn you, those of us who come from a legalistic church environment, what I'm about to say may give you flashbacks. But just... Hold on to your Bibles for a second, okay? I want to expound on that repetition statement from the previous point, what we do it by habit and over and over again. There are things in our lives as followers of Jesus that I call the spiritual disciplines that are visible marks of one who is in love with Jesus and has a gospel identity. I'm gonna give you these, and this is not an exhaustive list, but get ready. Attend church faithfully. Get ready, I'm so legalistic. Sing your faith. Pray to your Father. Develop an appetite to read and hear the Bible. Seek loving accountability. Share your faith through your words and your actions. There's the list for you. Sound familiar? Kind of reminds you of checklist Christianity, doesn't it? In fact, when you put all those together on one slide, I kind of start, I don't know what to do. But hear me clearly. This is the crux of it. The spiritual disciplines done with the wrong motive. Fear, guilt, duty to please men or out of obligation. They are nothing more than works of the flesh. Hear me. That right there done with the wrong motive is a work of the flesh. However, those disciplines done out of a heart of love and worship by one who has adopted a Jesus-centered gospel identity, these are nothing less than the works of the Spirit. Listen to me. The legalist and the person who's free in Christ with Jesus as their identity, they both arrive at a similar destination, but the destination is not the goal. The end result is not the issue. How you got there means everything. Listen to me. If you got here out of duty, out of obligation to please someone else, then you got to wrong spot but if you got here out of love for Christ out of sincere worship to him then you have arrived in a spot of intense worship to a God who loves you so much that he would send Jesus not just to die for you but that he would send Jesus to radically change your life and become the central, central focus of your identity How you got there is super important. And I mentioned this earlier and here's where it actually was in my notes. We must guard ourselves from the pendulum swing from legalism to laziness. We must guard ourselves from the pendulum swing from legalism to laziness. Listen, those are both ditches on the side of the the gospel road. Legalism is a ditch on the side of the gospel road and laziness is a ditch on the side of the gospel road. Neither one are pleasing to him. And I fear this morning that all this preaching on grace may have caused me and maybe some of you to possibly pendulum swing. And let me say this, if I have not properly addressed some of these, um, I apologize for that and we're going to the book of James. Just get ready. It's gonna happen. But let me let Paul set this straight again because he said it straight earlier. Let me let Paul talk to you for just a second. Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How shall we who died to sin, crucified, the old flesh, how shall we live any longer in it? Galatians chapter 5, Paul again, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, freedom. Only do not use liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Through love, motivators right. Serve one another, actions are right. Through love, motivators right. Serve others, actions are Right. My focus this morning is not on your spiritual disciplines and your checklist. My focus this morning is how did you get there? How did you get there? You see, the legalist gets to the spiritual disciplines on the path of earning and gaining acceptance from God and other people. And the one who has received grace this morning, arrives at the spiritual disciplines on the path of love and acceptance that God has already given them in the gospel. So you read your Bible not to check it off your accepted by God list. No, you read your Bible because you crave a more intimate relationship with the one who is the center of your life. You don't attend church because Rachel expects you to be here. No, you attend church because you want a closer, more intimate relationship with your creator God and with his church, his bride, the one that he he said he gave his life for. I'm a firm believer in conclusion this morning, a firm believer in speaking truth into my own life. And I'm not a spooky person like that. However, I believe that we can greatly alter our life experiences by by the mentality in which we approach a situation. I mentioned this in our Connect Group Tuesday night. If you showed up at Connect Group Tuesday night and you were like, oh, I cannot wait to get in, get out, go home. Like, please, Lord, help this go quickly. Well, guess what? The mentality with which you approach that group is probably the reality of what you got out of it. If you approached Connect Group and said, man, I'm really enjoying this and the discussion has been pretty incredible and the food's not bad and this has been really good and I can't wait to see where we're going next. I've read ahead and I'm not exactly sure, so I can't wait to hear the perspective and man, this is gonna be really good tonight. Well, guess what? Your reality was probably similar to that. So in that light, I would like to leave you with some questions that I wanna challenge you to ask yourself in your own mind, in your own heart throughout the day. Can I leave you with some questions? How to live properly? What would Jesus do? You say, 1990s call, they want their bracelet back, okay? No, that, but seriously, what would Jesus do in this fill in the blank situation? That's a question that you ought to continuously be asking yourself as you go about your day, about your week, about your month, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Second question, you should ask yourself numerous times throughout the week. Oh, how would Jesus react? Yikes. My dad used to tell me this and he was a prophet. Um, You're not gonna get in trouble, son, for your actions. You're gonna get in trouble more for your reactions. Man, he was spot on. How would Jesus react? Ooh, a work of the flesh in my life. Man, I react. And like 45 seconds later, I go, I wonder how I should have reacted there. How would Jesus react? Thirdly, here's a big one. This is a tough one because you gotta be really honest with yourself. Is this flesh-led Or spirit-led? And remember, if it's flesh-led, the answer is not just to stop it. The answer is to, through prayer and through surrender, to transition it from a fleshly-led act to a spiritually-led act. Is this flesh-led or spirit-led? Two more questions and we'll be done. Is this bringing glory to me or to Jesus? Is this bringing glory to me or to Jesus? And then lastly, will this bless and show grace to others? The heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. Will this bless and show grace to others? I'll put those questions in our family group on Facebook this afternoon. But my heart in today's message, as I stated at the beginning, was to take what we have put inside of our heads and our hearts and to see it lived out in our hands and our feet. And I trust this morning that my heart was on display. But at the end of the day, let's not be so shallow to think that Jesus Christ is, bled and died and gave his life on Calvary so that you can just do whatever you want to do with no regard for what Christ has literally laid out in Scripture through the Apostle Paul's writing in Galatians. I hope this morning's sermon doesn't come across to you as legalistic. If this sermon comes across as legalistic this morning, then the book of James was going to be very interesting for you. I'm looking forward to it. I need There's some works in my life I need to wrap up. There's some things that I do in my life that I need to stop doing. There are some things I don't do in my life that I need to begin doing. I'm looking forward to it for me personally. Next Sunday, we're going to have a guest speaker, and he's going to expound a little bit on what we've been talking about for the last seven weeks, and I'm really excited about it. Please don't miss if you're in town next Sunday. By the way, whenever we have a guest speaker here, I just like... Make sure you're here. Get here early. Meet meet them. You know, shake hands. All that kind of good stuff. Um, but this has been good for me. This has been good for me because I, I felt myself on that pendulum swing. Sometimes I felt myself going. I don't want to be a legalist. So honestly, I turned into like a lazy person in areas of my life. I don't want to be a legalist. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna push people. That, you know, that aggressively then, because I don't want to be a legalist. And I've probably erred on the side of laziness a little bit in my, in my spiritual life. This morning, where do we go from here? Where do we go from all the theology that we've learned? Where do we go from all the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians? You know where we go? We go to chapters four, five, and six. We go from receiving to living. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit KeystoneRDU.Church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.